Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke. And uh, I think I'm Annie Warmke today. I think so too. And today we're going to talk about nearly 30 years of living in, in at Blue Rock Station or existing around the idea of Blue Rock Station or what the heck were you thinking? So I think we're talking about, uh, we're just going to use this as sort of a format to hit some of the frequently asked questions when we have folks who come here asking us about, you know, you guys living in a house made of trash or whatever, and why are you doing it? What are you doing? So we thought this would be a good platform, at least to motivate us through some ideas uh, to hit on them. So take it away, Annie. Well, what's your question? The reason, the reason I wanted to do this is because um, I feel like there's a need to really walk people through what it takes to go from living in corporate America with big jobs and, you know, cars provided and all that stuff, traveling around the world, to, uh, to trying to live as resiliently and uh, simply off the land. It's a big transition and lots of people fantasize, but they, so it's not so much living at Blue Rock Station. That's just our example that we're going to use to kind of walk through this. So yeah, I think a lot of people have that fantasy of t- telling their Bob, their Bob, their boss, <laughs> their boss, maybe named Bob, uh, to take this job and shove it, you know, and I'm going to move out into the country and live in a cabin and raise you know, whatever I'm going to raise. They um, all sound like country western song yeah, titles. Yeah, yeah. Drive my little old pickup truck with my dog named Blue. And and, and there's an idolized um, concept of what that means. Very, very few people actually do that um, and, and follow through with it. But I think it's a, it's a bit of a fantasy. But we kind of, I mean, we kind of did that. Our, our dog's name, not named Blue, but, but everything else is pretty much... Um, Along those lines. So let's just talk about some of our experiences, how we did that, what we did, what motivated. Well, so, but it really started, you know, more than 40 years ago now, because I know when we were dating, I told you that uh, I wanted, I wanted to live someplace where it was warm because to me, Ohio was just devastatingly cold and dreary. And also I equated living in Ohio with poverty And I wanted to live where it was warm. But then when I got older, I said I wanted to be a farmer again because I felt like I was going to be the tin man when I was old after I watched some of my family uh, age. And I thought, you know, the tin man, if he stops, he just locks up. And that's what I thought would happen to me uh, as an old woman. So that was what I told you is, you know, that's where I'm walking to. I'm going to be in that place when, I, when I'm getting old. And so at some point, I think it had to do with our grandchild uh, when we realized we were going to be grandparents, which is well over 40 years ago. Um, no, it's not, but it seems like it. <laughs> I was thinking. She's <laughs> no, wait, old, she's only 27. <laughs> okay, but 40 years ago. But anyway, so 27 years, actually almost 28 years ago, uh, we were going to be grandparents. We are grandparents now. And, um, and I, I said, well, we should start looking for a piece of land. And, and I know we had talked about it a lot. And we decided, let's have some criteria, but we didn't want to owe any money. So we're thinking, all right, how's that going to work? So we've got to save some money for to pay for the land. And we wanted the land to be with, um, in, 
you know, within an hour and a half or so of an air, uh, an airport in a major city, because we lived uh, near a major city. So we wanted to just get on the plane, get to the place, get a rental so car. So we're saying basically it needed to be accessible. Right. And we in, had a vision that it would be a retreat for our families and our friends. Um, and so we didn't know what that would mean in terms of housing. I know at one point I said, well, you know, that the region where our granddaughter was going to be born in Southeast Ohio is poor no matter what happens. So we should try to build a building that would make a difference for the region. And at the time that didn't make any sense, but I felt strongly about it. We also, again, said we didn't want to have debt. So that caused a bit of a stir because you couldn't, um, you couldn't really get a bank loan anyway on vacant land, and we didn't really want to build a house right away, and we didn't want to have debt against a house. So I started by calling when we decided we were going to live in Southeast Ohio near where our granddaughter was going to be born. I started calling different real estate agents, which took me to these amazing, horrible slag piles. Where well, they been, saw you coming. <laughs> they No, they thought you're going to want to go hunting. And I'm like, no, I don't want to kill anything. I just want to have a piece of land where I could grow food and, you know, build a nice place to live and things like that. And so I gave up on them. And then one day I was reading the local paper and I saw this Bruner Land Company and, um, and they had some small smaller pieces of land, like 14 acres, 19 acres. So um, I called up and they told me about a place to go look. And I was very excited. Uh, I didn't know what a land company was, but they said they would loan money with a small deposit if we wanted it, and then we could pay it off pretty quickly. And I thought, wow, well, we could do that. That's a, a little debt, but we would have a plan to be done with it quickly. So I drove to where they told me to go to, um, and um, I got out of the vehicle and I started to walk and it was just one big briar patch and I was practically in tears. So I drove two miles back down the, the uh, road to use the payphone to call the realtor. And she said, well, honey, you should have gone to the left instead of the right, which I thought, well, that's the theme of my life. And um, so I waited until you came a few days later from somewhere where you were traveling and we went to the land together and we went the right direction, which was left. And, uh, and I had told you all along, when we get to where we're going, I'll know it. And we came on up into this pasture field, and there were a lot of quaking aspens there blowing in the breeze. And I looked up and said, let's write the check. Yeah, so I think um, kind of to sum that up, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I'll try. Um, is is when we first started this idea, we said, all right, let's lay out some criteria of the general region where we want to end up at. Um, at first, it was quite broad, you know, just an hour and a half within an airport. Catlin being born sort of targeted us to where that was going to be. And then we just said, all right, we don't really have any answers to what this is going to lead to, but this is the first step. We're going to find some land and let's figure it out after that part's done. So I, I just wanted to make the point that you don't have to have your goals completely firmly 100% established before you start. You know, you just need to start. That's I think you also have to listen to yourself. I think there's a lot of common sense in this. For instance, we ended up on a, 
near a major highway. We ended up on a paved road, such as it is sometimes, but it's still a paved road. And, um, and we're, we have easy access to a small town and then also to a larger town, actually to a couple of small towns where we do most of our shopping anyway. And so I, oftentimes when we're driving along the river, which is the route from the bigger town to our farm, uh, I feel so fortunate that we just really did just listen to the land and everything there um, because we could have ended up in some mighty rough places and to get to. And at that time we had no idea we're going to start a business. We're going to live there. We're actually going to live there for the rest of our lives. None of that was in the picture. Right now, my idea, my thought at that moment, we had the property. That's good. That's fine. Of course, I was still in the mindset of, I'm going to become a millionaire before I'm 40. I'm going to have a Mercedes 350 SL, <laughs> red, and convertible. It was so funny. And you would show up uh, in your suit. And we at that point, I think in the beginning, when I would be there in the summer planting trees, you we were staying in a tent. And, um, <laughs> and you change your clothes and you go, you'd be there like 10 minutes. Let's go to town and go to the show. And I'd be like, wait, I, <laughs> Let's have, get a, the hell out I, of here. <laughs> I have a baby and you are going to help me with the baby. I need to finish yeah. the trees or plant the, or paint the rest of the shed or whatever it right. was. I used to, I used to joke because of course this is getting a little ahead, but once we started building the earthship, um, you would come up with Catlin over the summers and basically be here almost all summer working on the airship and trying to, you know, find people to help you with that. And then I would fly up Friday night. Um, <laughs> from some place. From Tampa, usually. The rest of the world. Yeah. And, and get here, drive in, spend the weekend working on whatever things you had stored up for me. And then I'd be thinking by Sunday night, man, I need to get back to work. <laughs> work where I can rest, man. This is terrible. <laughs> you would say that all so the time. It was, it was so sustainable because I'm flying halfway <laughs> across the country on Friday, flying back home on Sunday. But of course, at that time, my job, I was flying everywhere. You could have all been gone time. anywhere. It was so just I a had stopover. A million frequent flyer miles. So it was. Well, it was you were just oftentimes just stopping off. I mean, it was about once a month. Uh, the whole time I was building the house in the summers. You, you were, you know, rarely there more often than once a month. So, mm -hmm. but we did, we weren't thinking about so much about carbon, although I did read a lot about it at the time, but I didn't completely understand. And that one plane ride was po po totally screwed up your entire carbon footprint for the rest of your life. So you're mm -hmm. really, you're going to go conveniently into the forget about next that. life and still be in trouble. Yeah. So, so what led to the idea of the Earthship, you know, and, and for those that aren't familiar with the Earthship, um, it is a home that's made primarily out of automobile tires, rammed earth, um, earth plastering. Well, rammed earth into cans, the tires. Yeah. And using thermal mass, using passive solar, rainwater harvesting, composting toilets. So it's essentially a self-sustained residential living structure made mostly out of things that have been thrown away. So that's kind right. of reusing, repurposing. So, so how did we go from flying in <laughs> in a suit on a Friday night <laughs> Uh, building That's a cabin you. in the woods. That's you. I was to, driving. <laughs> to living in a house made out of garbage. So so what well, was that well, transition? Well, that, the problem was from the very beginning, and it's I'm going to put it on you, is that you went along with me. 
<laughs> when I said I wanted some land, you went along with me. When it's I always said the I ringleader wanted to, to buy the, the land, off. you said, okay, let's write the check. So then I said, uh, I don't know what kind of building I want to build, but I think we have to build something. Well, I didn't mean I wanted to build, that we wanted to build. Um, I, I wanted something that would make a difference for other people besides just not us, because it felt really selfish to already have a beautiful home and have all the things that we had and then think, oh, let's have a second one when so many people didn't even have one. So one day, uh, about maybe five months after we bought the land, um, I was at home and Catelyn by now was five months old too. And she was sleeping on my belly and I was listening to uh, WMNF radio, community radio stations, which are great, uh, in Tampa, Florida. And I heard the architect Michael Reynolds talking about building buildings out of clean waste with tire rammed earth tires and cans and bottles and immediately i knew that's what we're going to do and i said to catlin who was sound asleep and all snuggled in hey you and mama are going to do this together and so i i called you up and i said hey how about if i arrange for us to go uh to taos new mexico where the architect is in a month or so um, and see some of these buildings and we could have a rendezvous and the baby will be staying with uh, the other grandmother. And as I like to say, you heard the word rendezvous and you said, okay. And you were coming in from someplace else and I flew in from Ohio and we met up in Taos, New Mexico. And the first house we went to look at, which was the first airship they had built, um, you looked at me and you said, this is the deal. You're so right about this. Yeah, it felt it felt nice. It felt comfortable. It felt felt um, right. I thought it was so, so. lovely because it wasn't even really completely finished, as I remember. And um, and each house we would go to, you would say, "Yeah, this is this is the deal." Mm -hmm. And um, so I was so happy about that. But then, you know, the next leg of it was, how do we go from here? So, all right. Well, don't get into that just yet because I want to remind folks that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jan Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. Oh, yeah. And thank God. And thank God. <laughs> right, you forgot the tagline <laughs> I forgot there. the, oh, thank yeah, God. And we always throw that in there because, you know, it is, uh, the world as we know it is is kind of messed up. Well, and, no, it's it's really written really its death up. warrant, and now yeah. it's it, it's we got to so, build something different. So I know I'm I'm jumping down our list because we've got a list here that's probably going to take. Oh wait, 10 before you things. jump, before All you right. jump, I want to make one point about what I just said, and that is that I think a lot of the reason in the beginning that we succeeded in doing these outrageous things and these off the wall things was because. No matter what role we each played within the plan, we agreed. We went forward together. And I don't think this kind of lifestyle or any of it works, any wild things you want to do work, if both of you or you don't have other people supporting what you want to do. And I think that's a big piece of building resiliency sure. in life. Well, I, I think we, as we sort of indicated, we're coming from different positions. You were in this kind of <laughs> mindset of, I want to move towards this. This has always been my long-term goal. Uh, the simple life, the, the agricultural life, having a bunch of animals, um, living on a farm, doing chores, all that appealed to you. 
it did not appeal to me. <laughs> um, it was not something on my radar. But once we began the process of having the home, uh, the farm up here in Ohio and, and starting to build the property, and that was a long-term process, which we'll get into. But um, there were little glimpses of, you know what, I could do this. I could like this. Oh, like what glimpse? Well, I don't know. I mean, who knows? You wake up and you see a bluebird or, or whatever. And, and I began to sort of, it was, it was that kind of subversive thing where, <laughs> where suddenly the chink in the armor and you start. So, so every time when I was doing my work or living in, in Florida or whatever, and some annoying thing would start happening, you know, things I wouldn't have noticed maybe before of the hypocrisy of our society or the annoyance of dealing with a job that was primarily about making money, you know, those kind of things begin to, to needle at you when you realize or have seen an alternative. I, I guess that's where I'm trying to get to is, is it wasn't an all of a sudden aha revelation. It was more like, yeah, God, that's annoying, you know? Oh, and that's still annoying. And then it got to be more annoying. And then society got to be really annoying. And, and we started to see, and I don't know if it was just me being more and more aware of it or if society really did just start getting weirder and weirder and more and more out of control. But, but it began to be a thing of, I need to make some changes. You know? Well, one thing that you did say almost from the beginning, which was very helpful to both of us as kind of a mantra uh, in terms of our planning, as you said, this is our bunker. This is our bank account. And no matter what happens in the world now, we have a place to go, a place to be, where we would be safe, we would be able to take care of ourselves. And yes, we had a big learning curve. But so what we would say is, oh, you know, we made a lot of money. And we invested in an awful lot of people with some of that money. We didn't keep it all for ourselves. And that was our life even before here. But then we had this bunker that we were putting money into. And we got lucky, you know, I inherited some money. And so we never really had debt after those first couple of years. And a lot of the money that went into building the house came from that uh, money that was gifted. So, but we began to think of this as our bank account. It wasn't just a place that was going to be, you know, a, an exotic retreat where people could come and hang out with us. It started to become something much more important than that, I think. And, and that was you sort of leading that mantra. Well, again, you're trying to shift the blame to me. So. <laughs> that was, that felt comforting <laughs> to me to think about uh -huh. it like that. Well, for, for me then, as it began to be more and more prevalent in my own mind, that there were certain changes I need to, to start exploring. And I'm not somebody who does something. You mean emotionally because yeah, you were yeah. tired of your and work? Business, well, it wasn't even that I was really tired of my work. I liked my job. I had a good job and, and I, I was making good money and there was nothing I could really look at there and say, this is bad. Yeah. You said but, I, my, my work doesn't harm anybody. Yeah. Uh, that's what I would think. I would try mm -hmm. to tell myself that. And, um, but I had been doing it at that stage for about 14 years. And the thing that con convinced me is I was, I guess, talking to myself. I might've been talking out loud. I don't remember. But um, I said, you know, I've been doing this job now for 14 years. 
it's good, it's nice, it's well paid, I get a lot of recognition for it, I could easily do it for another 14 years. And then I would have done it for 28 years. But then what happened? Then I Standing said, at this no, 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 lift. but I said, no, I said, I got to get out of here. Because all that I thought of was, if that is the only benefit of being here another 14 years, is to have been here another 14 years, I need to do something different. Right. But then what happened? We went to Europe. You were working, but you didn't go to your meetings. You hang yeah, out. Yeah, I was kind here. of burned out. You went with me instead. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is dangerous. What is going to happen? So we went to Spain. We're standing at a ski lift to go hiking. It was the dead of summer. And these women in front of us were from the U.S. or Canada. I don't remember. But they were teaching English, business English, in Barcelona. And you started to think about that out loud in line. And so you tell the story because it's your story. I don't remember the story. Yes, you so, do no, remember. You tell it. Okay. No. Well, so you were standing there and um, all of a sudden it just, it really hit me that no matter what I was going to face or lose out on or whatever, uh, how much it was going to change our lives. And that's what all went through me. I have to tell the truth. And I said to you, you know, I could slap myself in the mouth for saying this, but you, your job is sucking your soul out and you've got to leave. You've got to quit. And you looked at me and you're like, well, but what would I do? Yeah, well, that was the issue. I was thinking, you know, I have security. You know, I have, I have a good paycheck. I have health insurance. I have sick leave. I have a 401k for heaven's sakes. You know, all of these things. And the idea of just walking away from all of that was very, very frightening. And of course, your response was that all you don't have security. Security is an illusion. You know, you could go into work tomorrow and they could fire you. You could get sued by somebody. They could take all your money away. There is no such thing as security. Um, that from that point. At that I, point, yeah, you're just you're living right. you're living a myth. You know, and and that bothered me, you know. <laughs> yeah, but then I, I did say you have security. You have a good mind. You're healthy. You have a loving partner. You have the ability. You're white. You speak English as your first language. You were born in the U.S. You've traveled all over the world. You can speak a little of three other languages. You can write like nobody's business. Uh you know, what are you talking about? What would you do? And you said, well, I could write technical <laughs> manuals for the company that I work for now. Do you mm -hmm. remember that? Yeah, it's kind of funny because that's, I, I was kind of thinking, you, you're always <laughs> saying, oh, you're such a good writer. And I'm thinking, well, but I, I'm not, I, I can write, I'll admit I can write, but I can't think up what I need to write. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not Mark Twain. You know, I, I cannot come up with fictional stories. And of course, that's what we think about as writing. But I remember saying to you, you know, I can take technical things yeah. and make them Understandable. seem relatively simple. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's a thing I could do. And so in the line, you said that, and you just sort of skipped along. We got on the thing that took us to the top, and suddenly we were at the top of the mountain. And I have a picture that I, I, I should find it, but it was at that defining moment, sitting there with Catelyn, who was five at the time, six maybe, 
she was six, uh, we're, we're sitting there and we knew where we were going. We didn't know how we were going to get there. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew this is, this is the defining moment. We've laid the gauntlet down. We're going to leave it all behind. And then after that, sort of all hell broke loose. But, <laughs> but we, we made some decisions, some very basic decisions, a timeline. We created a timeline. We pl- created a plan. Um, and, I, and, it, and it started to really feel like relief, even though it was harsh. It just felt awful most to leave people things know, behind. Most people know when they're on the wrong path. You know, do they? I think they do unconsciously or consciously. They're kind of, they're not happy in what they're doing. Um, you know, and, and for me and for you, we were kind of going, listen, life's not an address rehearsal. You know, you don't want to waste another 14 years doing something that's okay. You want to do something that's great. You know, you want yeah. to do what you really want to do. And, and so that, I think the idea of saying, okay, I'm feeling like things aren't exactly right. And I think that moment, but it took a while to get there. It took yeah. a lot of, a lot of finagling yeah. and planning. But and- at that point you didn't begin to say, you know what, now I really in my mind made the commitment to leave. And that was difficult because then I was gone. You yeah. know, at that point you're just gone. You're still there, but you're gone. Yeah. And, and that, that, that was became good. a difficult period I know, of but time. it was good. But I want to say that all of that was what was valuable to you. But the only thing that mattered to me was that I wanted to look up every day and see you there being healthy and feeling good about yourself. And that's all I cared about. You, you're my bank account. Mm-hmm. So, Well, the purpose of, of kind of these frequently asked, and I know we've been ranting and, or not ranting. No, we're talking about how we reminiscing, got there. Reminiscing, yeah, reminiscing a little bit, yeah. um, like telling old, old photos or whatever. But, but it's, I think this is the step, and most people don't really realize how difficult that step is to finally say, yes, we're going to make these changes. Yes, I'm going to reject what society has told me is what you should be doing. And usually society is wrong. I mean, about everything, you know, they're just wrong. So, so you have to at some point go, listen, I'm going to reject this foolish notion of security. I'm going to reject this foolish notion that my status is tied up in what I do, not who I am. You know, that's a yeah. big thing for yeah. Americans. And, and I am going to come and, and take a different path. I don't know what that path is going to be necessarily or where it's going to lead, but that's going to be a path that, that is for the next period of time. And maybe it's not a forever path, but it's for the next leg of the journey. And, and don't think that's going to be easy. And a lot of people are going to come at you. All these folks, it's like when you're an alcoholic and you decide to give up drinking. All your friends are not going to be supportive of you making those major life changes. And a lot of those people who have been your support structure are going to fall by the wayside because you have changed. Well, you've broken a lot of rules. Yeah. Well, just let me say a couple of things real quickly is that we went on to leave everything behind and we sold our vehicle. We sold our home. We hung on to our bunker and we went to three years of a gap time in life where you mucked out horse stalls and saved the horse ranch, so to speak, the riding school. And we did a lot of things to travel and meet people and use the money we had to invest in ourselves because we needed to step away to think it through. And that might be a good idea. Having, having a gap year 
to get your get your head together. Yeah. All right. Well, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our Emmy Award-winning producer, Adam Rich, whose head is always together. And we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and eat your veggies, Jay. Till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com. Yeah.